0: Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie. And hey, guys, quick disclaimer. This conversation today is probably one meant to have some headphones in. Um, We're just talking about a little more adult-themed conversation. And so it's probably not one to have, like, on speaker while you're doing your laundry or whatever else. So pop those headphones in, you guys, because we are going to be having a conversation with an amazing woman and amazing, amazing testimony. Basically a girl who tried to prove her worth and her value with sex from a young age after some trauma that she had experienced. But before we dive in, I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. Um Lindsay talks about being raped at a very young age. And though the redemption in her story, you guys, is so, so incredibly powerful because God is so, so good. I want to make sure that you are aware that that's coming. And so if you're not in a place to be able to listen to this right now, I completely understand. But for everyone else, I want to introduce you to my guest today. She is a wife. She's a boy mom, lifestyle blogger. She's a speaker and a podcaster. And you guys, she has been featured in the Huffington Post, Relevant Magazine, Focus on the Family, Faith It, and Better Home and Gardens. Please welcome Lindsay Maestas. All right, Lindsay, well can you just um, can you just tell my listeners a little bit of your uh, who you are, what you do and then if you want to go ahead and just kind of jump right into your story I kind of already prefaced um, you know what we're going to be talking about and stuff.
1: Sure. So my name is Lindsay Maestas and I live in Albuquerque. As I said, I have an incredible husband who is in real estate. And then my two little boys, Sutton Riley and Saxon Finn. Sutton is five and Saxon will be three in January. And I started blogging about five years ago because I had severe postpartum anxiety. I remember being on my couch and just thinking, I need help. (laughs) But I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know it was anxiety. And now I feel like it's much more prevalent. It's much more discussed. Um, But at the time, I just couldn't find the kind of conversations that I wanted to have. And so I started my blog. Um, It's called Sparrows and Lily. It's sparrowsandlily.com. And I did Dear Mom's I can't remember actually what I titled it, but it was basically if you've ever felt this way, you're not alone. And I kind of talked about how I was afraid to touch my kid, I was um, terrified of even taking him out of the car seat. I had continual anxiety, and until I started talking to people and realizing, okay, I'm not just a horrible mom. I have severe depression, severe anxiety, Um, but just letting other women know like it's okay to not want to be around your kids sometimes when you're feeling that way and you need to take care of yourself and go talk to a doctor or counselor. So I started that way and it just blossomed. I was really thankful that God allowed it to grow. And then I, one year ago, Um, a few years ago, I actually started the milk and honey podcast that lasted a year. And then we kind of transitioned into our own thing. And now I have the living easy podcast, which is a year old and it has just been incredible. It has been such a cool experience. God has blown my mind with the guests and with the opportunities and the conversations I've been able to have. I feel like, I'm not sure if you feel this way as well, Stephanie, but I just feel like I'm always learning something from people and I, Oh yeah yeah, I feel so blessed to have the opportunity to just soak in wisdom all day as my job. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's become something really cool. And I use my Instagram to share encouragement. I talk a lot about marriage and motherhood and the raw and the real um, in faith and in just kind of the stuff that maybe makes people uncomfortable. Like my husband, and I have regular conversations about sex on the podcast podcast and Um, what that looks like biblically and that it is a good thing. And so, yeah, I just, I like to, I've always been a talker. I think podcasting is a good fit and I I like to dig in to where it's just the real life stuff that people are facing day to day and that everyone may not feel the most comfortable talking about with even friends or family, but feel like they can have a cup of coffee and listen into the Living Easy podcast. So, Yeah, that is that. And then my testimony, (laughs) we're just going to dive in. It's pretty heavy if you're ready for it. I grew up in um, high school. I had a lot of good friends around me and I had great parents. I come from a divorced home and so there was kind of mess there as I grew up. Um, And then I walking into high school kind of transitioned things for me. I started really seeking out attention. And I hate to blame daddy issues, but I would say I really longed to be seen. Um, There would be comments made in my home like, men like blondes, so don't dye your hair. And I if I would dye my hair, there would be comments of like, uh, it's just all too much. You need to go back to the blonde. Oh. If I walked yeah. out of my house in sweats because I wanted to be comfortable that day, I would be turned around to go get into a skirt and a shirt and some Uggs at the time that was the style. And it it was just a very shallow, surfacey focused home life um, in one of my homes. And so as that progressed, I just started seeking attention and I really wanted to be seen. I, my friendships, as I say, they were good. They were also jealous and tumultuous and high school catty girl friendships. If you see mean girls, that's how I define it now. I'm like, when I look back, like <laughs> it was kind of the mean girl. <laughs> yeah, it felt It felt like we support one another unless we have something to fight over, compete over, and then all bets are off. So I jumped from relationship to relationship in high school and in college. I had serious relationships, but I um, was raped when I was 14. So I went to a party and I got myself – I definitely drank too much. I was a freshman at a senior party. This was my first party ever. And I went in and there was this one guy who I actually knew and who knew people around me. And, um, we started talking about a past relationship he had had because one of his ex-girlfriends was like kind of a through the vine friend. And, um, he was like, here, let's actually just go talk in the room. So we went and talked and then he started flirting and I had had way too much to drink. Totally shouldn't have gone in that room. I acknowledge all of those things, but, I told him, I'm a virgin. I don't want anything, you know, because he was trying to kiss me. And I was even like, I'm 14 years old. I right. I don't even know, you know, what I'm doing. And he was like, here, actually, let's – he like went and checked the door of that room. And he was like, hey, let's actually go to this other room. And I'm assuming that room didn't have a lock on the door, the one that we were in. So we go into the other room and he – not to get too graphic, basically just had his way with me. Um, I started to cry. He put his hand over my mouth and he was, I mean, he has a huge, I think he was like the quarterback of our football team. And, um, I tried to bite his hand, didn't do anything. He was just getting more and more aggressive and then did what he wanted to do. He got up and he looked at me and I'll just never forget that face. I'm just like crying on the bed and he, looked down at me and just said, I have to go meet. And he named this girl that I knew. He's like, I have to go meet her. So, and he just kind of like wow. looked at me like I was a piece of trash that he had just destroyed, that he had just made into filth, you know, mm-hmm. and he was disgusted with me. So I, um, I went out and I got my friend that I went with and I said, I just want to go home And from that point on, I felt like I owed it to men. And it's so interesting because this story, by God's grace alone, has been shared um, all over the world. I received thousands of messages from women in Africa and in India and all of these places where they have similar stories and, of course, in the US and that they've just not talked about. And it's so sad to me that. It's so prevalent in our world. And it's so interesting to me that that act of abuse, whether it's molestation or rape or any sort of pain, can cause us to flip into feeling like that's all that we are worth rather than fighting for it. And I did um, try, I told people and tried to fight and I was actually by a family member told like, let's just leave this alone. And it was very much, it seems like such a news story to me, even as I say it, but he's the star football player. We don't want to mess with that. You got yourself into a situation. Let's never talk about it again. And I had nowhere to go. I felt so silenced, so isolated, so confused as a 14-year-old girl. Now as I have a 14-year-old niece, I'm thinking, she's a baby. I was a baby. And you don't think that at the time. You're such an adult, you know, but... Right. I was a baby and I was silenced by an adult. And so I believed I was just worthless then. I believed I put myself into that position. I believed that this guy could never do those things, even though now he's been in jail and had DWIs and all of those things. That everyone told me he could never. And I started thinking, did I make this up? But I had gone to the rape crisis center and I'm thankful for that. Because when I was in the room, which at the time I didn't understand because I felt like it was traumatizing me, they actually put a camera, or they did at the time, I'm not sure if they still do, put a camera down while they're examining you. So I could see the bruises on my legs, I could see the cuts and scrapes like in and around me. So I know it was real, you know, and I'm so thankful that I have that to look back on. And I think that's probably why they do that. Because you can say no, I saw this with my own eyes. There are not enough people in the world who can convince me that this was my fault and that this or wasn't. Have you, like
0: question real. your reality, mm-hmm. yeah, yep.
1: completely. Which I did, and so from that point on, I got into relationships with guys, and I would not want to give my body. I would feel the only way I can feel is like my skin was crawling. And yet I would still sleep with them because I felt like that is what they needed to stick around. Like I could not have a boyfriend who would stay if I didn't do that. And I think that's what that ingrained in my mind. And at this time, I had no idea who Jesus was. My parents had kind of talked, but I started kind of just getting to know relationship. I I didn't want to know the God of the Bible, so I would study um, I, even as far as Scientology, Mormonism, Buddhism, self-help, all sorts of things I would read and I wanted to know and nothing satisfied because it was all self-focused, like fix yourself. I'm like, okay, guys, I've tried to fix myself. This isn't working. I'm a mess. I'm drinking. I'm sleeping around. I am I feel so worthless. And so um, there was one day when a boyfriend, of a long-term boyfriend and I – had broken up and I started reading my Bible and I started getting into the word and I started going to church and I just felt one day like, you know what? I have tried everything to satisfy my soul. I have been drinking. I've done drugs. I've had any guy that, not any guy I wanted, but if I started talking to a guy, it usually worked out. And none of those things made me feel complete. And I was filled with regret i was filled with shame i felt filthily filthy and deser- undeserving of um any honor or any value or any affection that was good and so i um once i had given my life this is kind of all just so much stephanie am i going in the direction that you want me to
0: no, I love, yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Um, and I think that it's real just even having you share just like the full spectrum, i f- I mean, we'll come back to like certain things or whatever. But I think that your testimony just said like fluidly is super impactful. So no, you're perfect,
1: okay, yeah. And so then i um I started pursuing goodness, and I just felt like God was calling me to so much more. And so I started talking to my mom. I said, you know what? I'm going to stop doing these things. I'm going to stop drinking. I want to come to church and I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And I'll never forget that moment. I was in the kitchen with her and she'd been praying for me for so long. And I was 19 at the time. So five years since I had been just living recklessly. And obviously very secretively, my parents had no idea that most of this was happening. And then I went to my local church and I had heard, this is so random, but Jessica Simpson on the radio had said a long time ago that she wanted to be a secondhand virgin. And I remember thinking, one, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard.
0: I've Two, heard those. Yeah. Have you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, I, now that you're saying that, I do remember her. Yeah. It was so long ago.
1: Yes. I actually read her book and I will say I had very, very low expectations and I was so surprised at how good it is. And she shares like truth throughout the whole book. It was really, really good.
0: But I think media has kind of like portrayed her as the dumb blonde and I don't think she actually is.
1: One thousand percent. When I was reading, I'm like, at first I thought, there's no way she could be writing this book. <laughs> but then as you get through, it really, it's her words. It's her story. She's talking about like, I'm in my office right now. I've always known I was going to be a writer, all of that. And so it was really, really good. But I remember thinking, I want that, but that is so impossible because the boyfriend I was with at the time had i as a young kid, if I could say this, had a sex addiction. It was very like there would be pornography. I would hear pornography in the bathroom as I'm in the room outside, and he's seventeen years old, and i this had become so normalized for my life. I just thought, this is what guys do. This is who they are. Mm-hmm. And I was just I always say like my heart was a torn up piece of cloth and I was trying to patch it with all of the wrong things. And I would have boyfriend after boyfriend. And in those relationships, because they were so on and off and messy because they were very unhealthy, I would have other guys on speed dial because I was afraid of being alone. I was so terrified of being alone. And when I broke up with this one relationship, I had this guy that I had met at work and I called him and I remember being at his house and just not wanting to be there. Like everything in me wanted to leave, but I couldn't because I didn't want to be by myself. And I realized how much fear I was living in. And so I got back to the secondhand virgin thing and I thought, you know what? I want this so badly. And I have made so many mistakes. I can make one good decision and i had surrendered my life to jesus i'd started walking and reading the bible and i could not get enough i was like oh my gosh it's a guideline for my life and it's filled with truth and it's heart changing and i read in second corinthians 5:17 in christ you are a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new and i embraced that verse with every part of my being that I could be new and I still do to this day because it's every morning. I'm like, Lord, I want to be a new wife. I want to be a better mom. I want you to refresh my spirit and make me better every single morning. And so that day, 19, I drove to my church. I picked out a purity ring and I put it on my finger. And I always laugh because I was a hysterical mess in my car. I had no idea what to expect. But as soon as I put it on my finger, and it's not the act of just a ring, it's not the symbol of the ring itself. It is it is the embracing of Christ's redemption and his newness and a new life that he offers us. And in that moment, I realized this is something I can actually change. This is something by God's strength that I can make a difference in my life and allow it to be Knew, And so I just cried like such an ugly cry because I felt this sense of freedom. I felt out of that bondage. I felt free from the obligation to be someone I never wanted to be. I felt free from allowing myself to be used just because I was lonely. I felt free from permitting someone who called me only when he felt like it, which was pretty much every guy, to define every ounce of my worth. I felt free from seeking attention and praise for my looks or for my body and and free from the desire to give myself up to someone who could care less and wouldn't walk a mile for me let alone 500. And mm-hmm. I had always been told, you know, by people kind of around me, not necessarily my family, but You should wait for a man who will cross roads for you, who will tell you his secrets, who will be an open book to you. Otherwise, what are you doing it for? And I, um, I believed that in that moment and I realized, gosh, I've, I've spent so much of my time, um, wasted, you know, I really have, I have spent so much time in bondage to the sin that I didn't even enjoy that made me feel dirty. Even going out to drink, I would get excited to like get ready. But then once you get there and get the drinks in, it turns into drama and tears and crying. And, and I still see people, you know, in my, I'm in my thirties now from that lifestyle, living the same life. And I, I cry out, you know, Lord, I just want different for them. I want them to realize that this is not the answer because if the prostitute is not the happiest person in the world, then sex is not going to make us the happiest person in the world. If alcohol were supposed to make us the happiest person in the world, then the alcoholic would be the happiest person in the world. The drug addict would be, you know, we seek all of these fulfill, these things to fulfill and they're so empty in this world. And so I felt Free in that moment and I allowed myself to change I cut out old friendships old relationships I dropped that one relationship. I was in um, I started by telling him I couldn't have sex anymore because I didn't want that and then He got angry and it just turned volatile and I knew the lord was pulling me out of that relationship and then um a few years later I met or actually a year later I met my husband who was my best friend for about a year and a half before we started dating, and he loved Jesus. He cherished my body more than I did. Um, that was a really hard thing to kind of switch out of in dating him, and wanting that physical attention because that's what I was so used to. But knowing God didn't call me to that, He wanted better for me, and it was so beautiful because I felt as we were trying to stay pure, we did stay pure. That that closeness was built in such an emotional, tangible way because we didn't spend all of that time on physicality and lean on intimacy as a crutch. And I knew I saw in him because sometimes he would push me off of him because I'm like, no, just show me you want me. (laughs) And I'm like,
0: Mm -hmm. no. And he just,
1: he's like, I do. I want you badly enough to be my wife, that I want to cherish this. I know it is so important to you. It's so important to me. And I want to start our foundation honoring God. And I, Stephanie, had never been offered that kind of respect before. I had never even tried to earn it or knew that it existed. And so I felt so unconditionally loved that I was able to see the love of Jesus Through my husband to me, because he would have walked the 500 miles for me without a second thought. And he told me, You know, you're worth waiting for. And that coming from a girl who felt like, and I know, I mean, I know, Stephanie, you're going to have listeners who feel this exact same way, who feel so Mm -hmm. worthless, who feel so undervalued, who feel like they have nothing else to offer. And I just want to, encourage you. Like there's nothing more important in my life in this season and what God has called me to than to say that is a lie from the enemy. It is not truth. You are worth waiting for. God frees us from shame. He frees us from redemption and your story can be won from ashes to beauty because of that Unforgiveness and love. You are called to wait or to start over, and not even in just sex, but in alcohol or um, even in the longing of, of idolatry, of placing things above God in your life, of success or money or relationships or children. All of these things are not bad things, but when they become God things, then they are no longer good things because they're taking his place. But when God is at the top, at the forefront of everything, and his love pours into everything that we do, we learn balance. And for women who are single or who are in kind of reckless relationships, I want to just encourage that if you have a relationship where you cannot give him every portion of your mind, your body, your soul, and have him protect it and cherish it and care for it, I would challenge that God has something better for you. And this is something that Jesse said to me, my now husband, um, we've been married for eight and a half years and, one thing he said to me when we were dating, kind of friends, kind of dating, because he pursued me for about a year and a half and I kept telling him, no, I wasn't interested. And I just saw mm-hmm. him as a friend and he didn't let up. He told his parents that I was his wife, like I think the second time after we had met. And keep in mind, we were like 20 years old, 19, 20 years yeah. old. So <laughs> that's those are some big words. Um, but he knew and he trusted in that and he knew that God had called him to that. But he had said to me, I asked him a question about something that I had seen on social media that seemed weird. And he was so confused that I would question his integrity, but he didn't gaslight me and put it back onto me and say, how dare you question my integrity or my authority or my, you know, like what men can sometimes do. Not all Mm -hmm. men, but some men. He -hmm. said, Lindsay, my life is a glass house to you everything that is mine. And we're still friends at this point. We're not even fully dating. We had been like talking. He said, everything that is mine is yours. And I will protect everything that is yours. And you have access to everything that is mine. And that has remained true. He has never hidden his phone from me. I have full, I actually have blog posts on this. And even in our conversations on the podcast, we talk, I think episode 11, we talk about Um, this as a relationship builder of that trust. Not that we go and like search through one another's phones consistently, but if I want to grab his phone, he doesn't do a double take. He doesn't try to take it from me. He doesn't get frustrated. I have full access to his life and it makes me not need to do those things because I know there's freedom there. I know there's trust. Obviously, I had a lot of trust issues coming out of my past. I had been cheated on. I had cheated um, plenty of times. And so rebuilding that was so difficult but so powerful to have a man who just says everything that is mine is yours and i believe that is what a marriage under the lord should look like i believe that is what it means to honor god is to have openness and to fight together to be better for the kingdom to be better for the lord and not to focus so much on one another or even on petty arguments but on what is at stake. There's so much in this world, so much love that needs to be poured out, so much servanthood. And in a healthy marriage, you're able to do those things together. So end of my story, we got married, we remained pure during that time. And it has been an incredible journey together of intimacy, of emotional intimacy. Like I said, I think it really blessed our relationship to have that emotional, um, mental connection and intellectual connection where we were able to focus on one another, getting to know the depths of one another before we got married. So now that's just something that has flowed into how our relationship is. And so I've just embraced Um, The scriptures that God says where we are white as snow, we were red like crimson, but we're made white as snow. We're covered by him. And I live in that every day. It's not easy to forget these, these things that I've done. Um, I get a lot of messages about this and I've talked about it many times that it's, it, it still comes back to me. You know, there are moments where I have dreams about these exes that I haven't thought about in years, about these sexual encounters, about, and even thoughts that come into my mind like, what if, what if we had made it work? What if I had stuck around? You know, and that usually comes when Jesse and I are having a hard day and the enemy just puts those lies and those thoughts into my head and I have to battle it and I have a lot of conversations with Jesse and he'll pray over me in the mornings if I have those dreams because they really haunt me. And this seems common um, with, especially with women for some reason, but when we do have dreams that they tend to stay with us throughout the day. And sometimes we can entertain the thoughts a lot. And so that has created stigma in my marriage that we have had to work through. We do marriage counseling. I always say marriage counseling is to prevent the flames, not put out the fire. I am such an advocate for counseling, even when you're at the best of the best in your marriage because it's so good to continue working through the things and just to even grow on what is already good and to deal and hash out the bad. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so that is pretty much the extent of it. And we, um, it's been a really sweet journey. Not that it's been easy. I would say intimacy wise with my husband, there have been moments that have been really hard with like feeling comfortable in my own skin because I always felt dirty doing what I did. And so when intimacy created by God is a good thing for a marriage, for a relationship. And I, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as dirty and I saw myself as dirty. So like lights always had to be off. I always had to be covered with a blanket. If I got out of the shower, I would like fully cover myself and throw on a towel. And someone once told me, Lindsay, I love you so much, but you're stealing from your husband and you're stealing from the joy in your marriage. Not that I am his as an object, but that when we get married, we become one and we are one another's. And scripture says like, I am his and he is mine. And that is for our joy. Like to feel free in my skin in front of my husband, for him to feel free is a beautiful gift and a joy to have that intimacy. So I've had to battle. Some of that is like, straight obedience to the Lord of, okay, I'm not comfortable showing myself right now, especially ever after having kids, I want to just hide from the world because my body doesn't look like it used to. And I have to say and remind myself, no, this is a gift for my husband. He is a gift for me and I'm going to keep the lights on and I, when I want to, and I am going to be comfortable. I'm going to wear the things I want to wear and, and I'm going to embrace it. And it's interesting too, because he comes from a church background. So his struggle was the opposite of like, he's a pastor's kid. So he's like, the first few times, this is way too TMI, feel free to cut it, Stephanie, if you don't feel comfortable. No, you're, fine. Um, no, you're fine. But the first few times I would wear lingerie, like our honeymoon, he felt like he was doing something wrong. He would mm-hmm. he would like want it gone, you know, and would just say, uh, yeah, maybe will not do that. And he felt like he was sinning. And that's the problem that I think within the church is we say, sex is dirty. It's horrible. It's awful. As you grow up, do it with the person that you love. And then when you get with but the but person- the
0: second you get married, yeah, then all of a sudden it's supposed to be this big, amazing, beautiful, beautiful
1: gift. Thing, yeah. Right? It, but it's been tainted. So yeah, so we've both had to work through it.
0: First of all, I love your testimony just in general. Um, I literally could listen for, I mean- not just for me, but just that it's on this platform. And I know it's on your platform. And I just think that, you know, there, like you said, there are so many women um, that have either experienced this or some level of this or still struggle with this today um, or just with that worthiness piece or whatever. And, you know, you went through all of that in like really formative years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just because, um, you know, at 19, you made a different decision and the trajectory of your life changed, I feel like. I'm just glad that you're also opening up about like it's still a struggle. like mm-hmm. it's still something that you know, Jesse and you have to work through. It's still something that you that is still, you know, there, but because of Christ, like that that weight is is lifted, but that doesn't mean that the struggle is gone. And so, right. um, you know, I, and I and exactly what you were just saying, and it it makes me so mad. um but, you know, within the church, there was people. Have kind of this love hate relationship, mainly hate with this whole uh, what was it back probably back in the '90s of the whole like purity culture and the purity rings and all of that kind of stuff because they felt like you know, they did just dumb, they did dumb sermons and yes. stuff where they were like, here's a piece of tape and they stick it to like 14 people. And they're like, this is now you, if you sleep with this many people look like it doesn't work anymore. It mm-hmm. doesn't whatever. And I'm like, man, that is so shame filled yes. for, especially when you're sitting in a room of high schoolers doing that. Right. Like, you know, that not like not a hundred percent of these women or girls are virgins. And so it's like, you're just the church, right? The yeah. church is just reiterating this, this, um, narrative that like, if you have made this decision, then you are devaluing yourself. Yes. Instead of what, I mean, there has to be some level and I would love to hear, um, you know, what your, I don't know what your thoughts are, especially just raising boys. Um, of like what your guys' conversation around that will be. Um, and, like I have a friend who, um, got pregnant in college, ended up marrying her, um, her, Baby, dad, whatever they have, yeah. <laughs> lots of kids, beautiful. At that point, it was a baby, yeah. dad. but you know what I mean. They have lots of kids, beautiful marriage. They've been together forever, and she's like, "I will 100, you know, preach abstinence to my children because the effect that it had was it was this was just a really hard road, yeah. And like the way they turned out is not typical, um. You know, she's thankful for it, but she's like, "I will 100 percent preach this." Yeah. And so, what do you feel like? your that conversation will look like with your voice. I know that might be a loaded question. No, <laughs>
1: it's it's a good one. I wanna touch really quickly on what you said about the tape because there is if anyone is listening, and I wish I I mean I'm sure you could just search it on YouTube. Matt Chandler is a pastor I listen to. He's located in Texas. Oh, I love, yeah. Love Matt Chandler. He's incredible. At the Village Church, yeah. Yes, Village Church. And he has this video and it's literally gonna make me emotional. It's crazy how many times I've talked about this and I still just my whole testimony and story and everything but I think the burden on my heart is for women and young girls who, it's so much more accessible now with TikTok. And I mean, even guys, you know, not to diminish that because guys are doing the same. They're, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into it, but they're doing things on their videos <laughs> that are so unnecessary <laughs> to make themselves feel like they're manly, you know, or they're a sexual being and they're young kids. And the burden on my heart is just like, gosh, if only they could see 10 years in the future, what would they do differently? And I always think that way, th- think back that way. But for those of you who feel this and dirty and um, who may not be married or who may be married and are still struggling, Matt Chandler did did this this example where he said, he was at a church or he had seen, um, a sermon where this pastor had a rose and it was this beautiful blossomed rose and he had sent it around the church and he had all of these people touching the church, touching the rose. And it was exemplifying a woman who was being passed around and he brings the rose back up and it's all wilted and broken and destroyed. And he's trying to teach on purity and abstinence and he says who this is the other pastor not matt chandler who would want this rose look at it it's filthy it's used it's destroyed it's wilted it's worthless and matt chandler gets so emotional and i think that's why it makes me emotional and he says jesus wants the rose jesus wants the rose you are not these things you are not used you are not broken You are not invalid. You are not worthless. Jesus wants this rose and he will make it brand new. And for the church to teach that is so devastating to my soul because yes, we want people to wait. We want them to know how beautiful it can be if you wait for your marriage, because gosh, I wish I had like with everything that I am. But if you've already done that, what are you telling them? You're telling them there's no hope for your soul. And that is the biggest lie because that is why Jesus died on the cross was for you and for those decisions that you made. So I just wanted to touch on that because it's so powerful to me um, that 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 is who Christ is. Like that is why he died was to resurrect that old life and to put that past in the past. He says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I believe that. And I just want Stephanie, your listeners to believe that today. But when it comes to my boys, I'm going to, I am very big on having these conversations regularly and early. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that was a disservice in my life was not having these conversations. It was very much just don't have sex and that was it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, you know, there was no why behind it. There was no emotional weight behind it. There was no understanding aside from it's just for when you're married. You know, that's not enough. There are so many reasons it bonds a soul 50%, you know, you have that emotional connection that's 50%, you have the physical connection that's 50%. And right now, the average age of boys seeing pornography as of 2020 for the first time is the age of 9 years old. Um and that feels insane to my heart because my son is 5 and that is so close to 9 years old. You know, it flies by in the blink of an eye. If we're not having these conversations in our home with our children of the beauty of of sex the weight of sex the reason that god wants us to wait the reason that he has died on the cross for us because all of the gospel ties into this thing then they're not going to know um we have books um good pictures bad pictures is a really great book as a mom to read there's one i can't remember the name of it it's a children's book i got off of amazon but it's about like touch and it's like don't touch me there i can't remember the name of it i'm sorry i
0: i think i no i think i might ha- i i nothing I, I know what you're talking about cuz we bought we are we're foster parents also and oh, so wow. We just, um, just with you know, kids coming in and out of our home and yeah. whatever I bought, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll link to both of these in the show notes. Okay. Give have another one that I'll link yeah, to. Yeah, perfect. One too. <laughs> I'll send them
1: to you if I think of them. But that one's like red yeah. flags and green flags, and just being aware we're really big already on private parts being named their actual private parts, which Jesse thinks is weird. <laughs> I'm like, that's your penis. And it's, and Jesse's like, just call it like his pee pee. I'm like, no. I, yes, he's young and I, we do call it that too, but I want him to know the names of his anatomy so that he can refer to them if something happens and it's not vague for him or ambiguous. So these are all conversations that we have. And I just want them to know, you know, my heart is people make mistakes. My, my mom loved the Lord And it, it, I didn't want anything to do with it. We can never promise that our children will be saved. God does not promise that in the Bible, but he does call us to be faithful in our parenting, to be faithful in putting the word around our house on posts, on, on the mirrors, you know, to make sure that that word is flowing, that we're faithful in our faith so that our children grow up seeing that in us as well. And so, I think all of those things play into this, but the daily conversations, especially as they get old enough, the regular eye to eye contact, um, not allowing them to learn things from their friends or school first, but being the first to talk about them. And, you know, we're in a world, Stephanie, and like I always say this, where we have access to so many resources. If you Google, Christianity how to talk to my kids about sex you're going to have so many options of what to do so i just think making sure it's biblical making sure it's lined up theologically with what the bible says is accurate is important but using those resources at your disposal and and knowing that this can really help with the way that your children are raised and if they've already been into it if if they've fallen deep or you've fallen deep it's just never too late. And I really want to reiterate that because I think had my rape been handled or even addressed or even acknowledged, it would have changed the trajectory of my of my life, maybe not completely. But then a month later, hey, how are you doing? How do you feel? How do you feel in this relationship that you're in? Like, do you feel the pressure to be intimate? Why is that? You know, those questions are so real and so important. And pretending that sex doesn't exist is just not an option. Pretending that pornography doesn't exist is not an option. They have access to porn at the touch of a finger. You know, checking their phones, stalking their phones, being a psychotic parent is okay. You're protecting your kids while also having the conversations to let them know you respect them, but you respect them enough to care about what they're watching and what they're looking at. That's my two cents.
0: Right, I love it. Well, and it's you know, like you said, and a lot of, and you know, parent your own way. But yes, a lot of people are giving phones, full on smartphones, to eight, nine year olds. You mm-hmm. know, because they're out at basketball, or they're at school, or, you know, whatever it may be. And I, or you know, they have older. Siblings, and so it just you know I feel like your youngest one grows up the fastest sometimes because yeah, yes. it's like well I feel like my two year old is like already watching Power Rangers he, <laughs> and he's like I want Mickey I'm like okay fine. yeah um but you know what I mean like I just feel like there's also this level of like the col- it's the culture of just kind of pushing back on that and my kids my literally my five year old six year old asked today at when we went to the doctor what like when am I gonna get a phone because he loves to like text yeah. his dad on my phone you know and I'm like. When you're 16, yeah. I don't know, like, <laughs> yes, such a long time from now. Like, yeah. I don't even. Just because it's so tempting, and there's literally so much, and their brains just can't handle that, Mm-mm. you know. And so anyways, they weren't it is created,
1: just, yeah, for that kind of content. And even like, there's even comments because I scroll TikTok and I use it for my business, and sometimes you come across these videos where, like, even you'll look, you'll look at some of the comments, and this is like a 16 year old girl doing these dances wearing these clothes you know and even other teenagers will comment and be like where are your parents do you not have parents or yeah. you know and i think that is the thing is that parents don't really know what is on their children's phone so if they have them it is you're paying the bill you know you've given them that phone they're under 18 check their apps look at what they're posting look at what they're doing because it really like what you see kind of proves that parents a lot of the time don't have any idea what's going on because they're trying to respect their kids. But at what point do we respect and try to be their friend so that we then sacrifice their future? We re- sacrifice their feelings of worth, of validity, of worth, of of beauty. All of those things, we're sacrificing that because we don't wanna get in their space. you know. And I, again, I'm not judging any parenting style. I'm not there yet. I don't have teenagers yet, so I can't speak to it. But that's just with what I've read and what I've seen, it just breaks my heart. And obviously what I've experienced plays into that as well. So I wish my parents would have been more in my business, like a lot more looking back. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think – and I think a lot of times parents – like – you know, I have friends and she butt buttheads with her mom all through high school, college, yeah. whatever. And now they're best friends. And yes. she's like, I'm so glad you didn't let me get away because she was very strong willed. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, her mom was like, "Whoa, that was a ride. But like, seriously, she's like, thank you for, you know, I mean, it didn't go unscathed, but it was still, you know, yeah. good when you can have somebody like that in your corner, especially once you start to mature some and can see like, exactly. oh, okay, yeah, mom, we start to realize that our mom was right. You yes. Know yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, anyways, okay, well let's wrap this up. Although I feel like we could talk forever, but is there any last thing, um, that you would just love to share your heart on about this with maybe other women who are struggling with this? I know you kind of did this whole time, but is there anything else?
1: Yeah. I would just say that it's a day to day process too. And that God moves in you. Lamentations 3.23 says that God's mercies are new every morning. And so remembering that, that when you wake up in the morning and if you are struggling, having a community around you is so crucial. And I know during this time of coronavirus, it's so hard to do that. But whether it's Zoom calls or FaceTime, having that accountability, like I said, when I surrendered my life to the Lord, by His grace and strength, I don't know how I did this, but I cut off my whole life. I stopped hanging out with my friends. Like I went to them and I'll, I told them everything. I said, I'd love to get coffee with you, but I can't come out with you anymore. Most of them did the work of like cutting me off. They thought I was crazy, lost my mind. Right. Um, But I didn't care. I got plugged into a church. It was like a college group, youth group at the time. And I poured my heart and soul into that. I was there every Thursday, every Saturday. I served. I was there. Afterwards, we did. We went to Frontier, which is like a, a college kind of restaurant here. We'd go eat together until late, and then I'd go home. And I will say my joy in that time, is pro- it probably was one of the sweetest of my life because it was such a switch. It was a complete 180 of how I had lived before. And we laughed and we had fun. And I remember telling my sister, before I started my life to the lord like it just doesn't seem very fun like it doesn't seem like you can have fun and do fun things and that was such without a lot <laughs> yeah without mm-hmm. drinking and smoking weed and but gosh none of those things actually brought me joy and i think when we stop like i said to think about what kind of impact those things actually have on us they are not positive ones they're just not and and having laughter and people who cared about me and people who i could call when i said hey I totally went to this guy's house as a Christian, as a believer with my purity ring on and like it got too far. What am I doing? You know, and they would pull me back out and just say, "All right, let's talk about it. What happened? Why did you allow that? Like what was it in you?" And I could wrestle through my emotions and my desires and Repent to the Lord and move forward, you know, and repent means to acknowledge what you've done wrong and turn from your ways. So it didn't mean I just kept falling into that same sin. It meant I stopped being alone with guys. It meant I stopped doing things where I felt tempted, even in a car, which may seem extreme to people, but I couldn't control myself, guys. I was like… It had just turned into I needed to be wanted. I needed to be seen. So even with Jesse, we couldn't be alone in the same house when we dated. We would go to movies with people. We would have people around. And that was really the only way that I could follow through with what God had called me. And so, whatever those convictions are, whatever accountability you need, be honest. Don't be ashamed to tell people that you've fallen short. That is growth. You know, growth to be able to confess and to be able to talk through those things is huge. But Jesus will, if you're here, if you've been here, whether you're in your marriage, if you're single, if you're pure, you know, if you are a virgin, God will fill your life with a fullness that you cannot even fathom without Him, and He loves you enough to set you on a new path and to keep you on a path. He says, "I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope." He says that in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. So you, if you're willing to open your heart to Him. He will change your story and it will be more beautiful than anything you've ever imagined. I promise you that I've seen it in my life and so many of the lives around me. So I think, yeah, that is all I would say.
0: I love that. And Jesus wants the rose.
1: Jesus wants to rise. <laughs> that might be the Amen. title. That might be the title
0: of this episode. Yes.
1: Amen.
0: <laughs> oh man. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for just coming on and sharing your testimony. Um, I know it was so powerful. And um just thank you for opening up with that. I know that it's not easy, although I'm sure that it's um empowering to be able to talk about it and just to know that it's helping so many people. So thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's like a heavy burden on my like a weight, like a brick on my heart every time I talk about it. But I do know freedom comes. And so I I also will say if you can share your story, it brings freedom to other people. We think there's shame in it, but anyone who shares their story gives freedom to others who have gone through the same thing and feel like they can't talk about it. So that's why I do it. Not that it's comfortable <laughs> for me. Um, right. but it is a joy. You know, it is a joy to see the freedom that God uses it for for other lives. So so thank you. Thank you for having me on, Stephanie. It's such a joy to talk with you um, and just to hear your heart and your podcast and your story as well is is wonderful. So I'm just honored to be
0: on. Man, <laughs> what a testimony. I know there were women who needed to hear her testimony today. I mean, someone who needed to be reminded that Jesus wants the rose, you know, and that, that you are and can be a new creation in Christ. And like Lindsay said in the interview... You know, it may not be sex that you need a renewing of or a grace on. Like it could be anything that you have begun to idolize in your life, anything that you have put your value and your worth in. And I thought it was really interesting that she tried Islam, you know, she tried Buddhism and everything under the sun to not have to come back to Jesus in Christianity But the truth was, was that all the other religion put the basis of improving on yourself so that you are worthy for a God or, you know, so you could do X, Y, and Z in order to please a God. And Christianity is really the only religion that flips all of that upside down where the God of the universe comes to you, right? He leaves his throne and he comes and meets you where you are and loves you where you are and died for you. And that is incredibly powerful. And I also loved how she said, you know, if sex or drugs could fulfill you, then a prostitute or an addict would be the happiest people on this earth. And we all know that that is not the case. So you guys, I just pray that whatever chains are holding on to your heart today, that you find freedom sooner rather than later. And I'm always checking my direct messages on Instagram. If you want to chat, I am at Legacy Through Motherhood and Lindsay is also on Instagram at Living Easy with Lindsay. And if you need professional counseling, counseling to work through, you know, anything freaking going on in your life. I encourage you to take that route as well. And counseling, like we kind of talked about, like does not have to be this end of the road, last ditch effort thing. It can be just a normal middle of the road support thing. And I will also link to all the ways you guys can get in touch with Lindsay and just follow her. She has a podcast called Living Easy Amazing. I will link to all of that in the show notes, and I will also link to the sermon from Matt Chandler that we talked about during this episode. And so I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope you guys all stay healthy, and I look forward to continue to walk with you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.